With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago as we enter another week uh, without racing, unfortunately, but still plenty to talk about. Lots of news that has come in in the last week or so. And, John, we see more and more the embrace of esports from so many of these sanctioning bodies around the globe. And as we talked about last week, SRO America, one of the next ones to jump on board. They had their debut race over the weekend using the Assetto Corsa Competizione platform and uh, had the the first broadcast of an eight-race series over the weekend with Brian Heitkotter dominating at Virtual WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. I know you had a chance to watch that race, had a bit of coverage of it at sportscar365.com. Your impressions, uh, because we've seen so much on iRacing in the past, this is a different platform, so it looks and sounds a little bit different, and a different cast of characters as well, with drivers from across the SRO America spectrum taking part. Yeah, it was really interesting to sort of see this race unfold, because there were a lot of familiar names, but in different cars. Um, This sim only has GT3 cars for the moment, so um, we saw a lot of probably GT4 America and some TC America drivers step up to uh, higher-end machinery and sort of come to grips over the course of the one-hour race. And I have to say, I was really impressed with with both some of the sim, real-world sim drivers and the the real-life drivers sort of mixing it up. Um, We saw some incidents on track, but actually not as many as I've seen in some other sim races um, in, in past weeks. So, um, yeah, it was a dominant effort by um, Brian Heikotter, the, the inaugural uh, uh, Nissan GT Academy North America winner quite some time ago. But he had spent some he had spent some years racing in what was Pirelli World Challenge um, in a Nissan GTR in the past. And he was sort of invited back to go take part of this this event. And um, it was cool because he was in a GTR and it, um, had a pretty uh, dominant effort. I think he won by over 30 seconds. So. Uh, congratulations to him. Uh, we saw some some strong challengers. I think the other driver that really stood out to me was Kenton Cook. He started on the outside of the front row, had a very fast um, car in his Aston Martin, and had a couple drive-through penalties that got him set back, but ultimately he charged through the field. I think he ended up finishing fifth, if, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. But um, Overall, I was I was pretty impressed with the platform, pretty impressed with the, the presentation, and there were quite a few people tuned in to, to watch this on the GT World uh, YouTube page, and I'm sure there was even more on, on the Twitch and, and Facebook streams as well. So um, great to see SRO America sort of kick this off, and, and I'm actually looking forward to having some kind of racing every Sunday afternoon for, for the next couple months. Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, the next seven weeks, I believe, we'll have some races, and it should be mostly the same cast of characters. It'll be a revolving door of invited sim racing experts, I guess, and I had a couple of those, five, I believe, in the race uh, over the weekend. Uh, I think another driver that, that was impressive was Carl Whitmer, who... Uh, started a little bit further back, got caught up in all the craziness that happened on the opening lap, which seems to be a theme if you watch a lot of the e-racing events that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. We've we've had a lot of those, and Carl was really, really fast too, so I expect him to be a contender. But no surprise to see Brian Heitkotter put in the performance that he did. He's the, the 2011 Nissan 
uh, PlayStation GT Academy North America champion, like you mentioned. So it does go back a little while, but he's got that nifty combination of uh, of gaming experience and real-world experience, and I think he's viewed as the major favorite looking at the rest of the schedule. But uh, like you said, I think it was fun. It was something different to do, and happy to be a part of that broadcast. It was awfully nice of them to ask me to do that, and looking forward to seeing what the next few weeks have in store on that front and if you missed it and are looking for some racing content we do have a replay of that race broadcast available for you up at sportscar365.com so you can check that out there let's get to some real world racing news though john we'll start with some out of the sro actually with a story from our dan lloyd talking about the 24 hours of spa the total 24 hours of spa the date currently set at the end of july has always been one that we've looked at with a bit of concern, given how proactive the Belgian government has been about shutting down large events in its country to try and prevent the spread of the coronavirus. And it sounds like from Dan's conversations that there still is a bit of a question mark over that date as it stands here today in mid-April, looking uh, already a couple months down the line. Yeah, and I think it's even a bigger question right now um, in the wake that France um, just recently, I believe today on Monday as we're taping this, has um, banned all uh, large-scale public gatherings until the middle of July. Okay, this race is in Belgium, it's not in France, but uh, a neighboring uh, country. Um, looking at the way things are, are heading, I, I'm not too sure that we're going to see this race move uh, go off as planned. Um Stefan basically said it was a question mark. Um, SRO has all these different scenarios, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. Um, he has a whole different slew of different options of, of where these races could be fit in throughout the, the rest of the year. But um, I think it was very clear that there was a question on Spa because of the event bringing in a lot of fans. Um, it's considered uh, there's a lot of concerts on that event during that event over the weekend. Um, it could be considered a festival-style event, which the Belgian government is trying to avoid, at least that's the plan right now. So um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, I know that everything's a real fluid situation right now in terms of dates and scheduling and, and figuring out what's going to happen, what's not. Will it be delayed? Will it be canceled? Um, the big ramifications for this, though, is that since this, since the 24 Hours of Spa is a round of the Intercontinental GT Challenge powered by Pirelli, um, it would really screw up or complicate things, at least from a logistical standpoint, because the, the Suzuka 10 Hours is directly after this um, by a month. And if you end up delaying this post-Suzuka, then that complicates things for the Indianapolis 8 Hour, the other IGTC race in around that time frame and it's scheduled for early October. So there's a lot of different scenarios to look at here. Um, and I really don't envy the, the calendar makers right now and trying to figure out uh, backup plans and, and, and whatnot. But I think for what we know right now, it's unlikely we will see racing until the end of June or early July, at least from the SRO's perspective. And given some of the new updates we've seen this week in Europe, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's pushed back to August. That's tough news to receive, but again, you have to credit those in charge to 
make the decisions that, that are necessary to try and help us get through uh, this situation. And I think your your point about the calendar makers are are, are is well made. <laughs> I had somebody tell me recently, all calendars you see coming out at this point basically are a suggestion. And uh, we, we just kind of have to hope in, that, that some of them do come to fruition down the road. But on the subject of trying to get going once again at some point uh, in the in the future, Giorgio Sana from Lamborghini had some interesting points to make about the viability potentially of some smaller championships, more national championships, rather rather than some of the more uh, international and sprawling series that we usually are the one are talking about on this podcast. They might have a chance to get started even sooner than than those larger championships because of uh, the po- the possibility to work around travel restrictions and and basically work in the environment of their specific countries and so for uh, a populace starved for motor racing content that could be good news as we look a little bit further down the line that there might be a few things firing up even before motor racing as a whole gets started once again yeah i i think that's a a definite possibility especially if you look towards asia not necessarily the whole continent in Asia, but perhaps China. Um, there's been talk of the Chinese GT, the China GT Championship restarting at some point. Um, they had put their championship on hold. Um, in Europe, you know, theoretically, you could look at potentially a British GT or Italian GT or French GT um, if their races are all in that same country and that country ends up lifting a lot of the the restrictions in place, but still keeps their borders closed. That would allow racing to resume. Also in Australia, um, we're waiting for the the uh, Virgin Australia Supercars Championship for for touring car fans, and then also Australian GT. Um, so those are the championships I'm looking at. Um, ADAC GT Masters, maybe not so much because um, nearly half of their races are actually outside of Germany. Um, we know there's a big push in Germany right now to try to get open up things and try to get the economy going again there. Um, Spain's the same way, I, I believe, and Italy. And, um, you know, it's it's going to be a really challenging couple next couple months to figure out what's possible, what's not. Um, will there be drivers that can get into the country if they're not from that na- nation? Um, there's so many different scenarios you look at. Um, I'd heard that New Zealand is pretty much on lockdown right now, and um, we have Earl Bamber there right there. Um, Brendan Hartley's there. So it's like all of a sudden, what if IMSA restarts before New Zealand uh, starts lifting their restrictions? You know, Could the defending IMSA GTLM champion make it out of the country to compete in IMSA races? You know, I Who knows? Again, this is just all these things off the top of my head that are still a huge question marks because we don't actually know what will happen and the exact timeline. The one thing we do know is that the whole world's not going to go back to normal with the flip of a switch. It's going to be incremental um, transitions and easing of the travel restrictions and the stay-at-home measures that we're we're facing right now. So every country, every state in the U.S. is going to react differently, and I I think this is going to prove to be a big challenge in determining how and when we go back racing. All right, so interesting developments, and we'll do our best to keep you updated on any news that comes out as far as more details about when we might be seeing some racing once again in the future up at sportscar365.com. 
when we go racing again, especially in the WEC, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Rebellion because, as we've talked about on the podcast, they are scaling down their prototype racing project. It was set to end at Le Mans. Now we know that this season will extend beyond Le Mans. So let's start there, John. What does that mean for Rebellion's plans with its LMP1 program? And might we see Rebellion in some form or fashion in motorsports, just not in prototypes, which uh, seems to be more of a chance of that now than we would have expected when they initially announced their withdrawal from competition? Yeah, back a few months ago when they announced that they were done with motorsports, it looked like it was a ceasing of all motorsports activities, and that hasn't it actually isn't really the case. Um, they're still moving along with their um, Dakar program that's on schedule for next year. Um, um, the team owner, Alex Pesky, he made his debut as a driver uh, this year in the Dakar rally with some support from Roman Dumas' um, operation. And I think that program is moving forward next for, for next year. And also now there's talk of having a GT3 program in one of the GT World Challenge um, series. Uh, Rebellion became the official timekeeper of SRO uh, GT uh, World Challenge. All three of the uh, Continental Championships this year replacing Blancpain, um, not as a title sponsor, but just as the official timekeeper. And it looks like um, Rebellion is is lining up a potential program as a team for next year. Um, we don't have the details. We don't. It's still early days, but um, it would be quite cool to sort of see those colors back in sports car racing. Uh, mind you, the team actually had some GT racing experience um, back when it was largely run by um, Siba Automotive, um, Hugh and Bart Hayden's um, team that was largely based in the UK. Since um, that was actually running a spiker, if anybody remembers back in the day there. But um, more recently, the, the team has sort of been taken over by Orica, and it's unclear if Orica would run this program or it'd be another GT operation that would do it, or maybe it's more of a sponsorship exercise, you know, where an existing GT3 team could potentially be sponsored by Rebellion and it's rebadged as Rebellion. We don't know, but um, I think it's really good to sort of hear this development, especially coming in this economic time when, you know, sponsors and, and, and teams usually don't want to say much because they don't know what's going on long term. And here, um, you know, we're getting some word that Rebellion could end up with a, a, a GT3 program next year, which is great news. And to close the other part of the, the, the scenario out with the LMP1, um, there was some questions on whether they would do the final WEC race in Bahrain now that the 2019-2020 season has been extended um, post Le Mans. The Bahrain race effectively replaces the 1,000 miles of Sebring, which was canceled in, in March. Um, it appears that they're trying to, but they're still working on budgets. Um, a lot of the budget had gone to Sebring already, and a lot of that has been non-refundable, as has been the case with all WEC teams. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Their hope is to do Bahrain. They don't, they're not saying no to it right now, but if they do it, it would be with one car. And the plan right now uh, for Spa and Lama is still to do it with two cars. And remember as well that this Rebellion team, prior to its announcement uh, that it was going to be pulling out of of, uh, motorsports at the time, or at least prototype racing as we understand it now, they were linked with the the Peugeot uh, hypercar program. And some interesting quotes as well in our story at sportscar365.com about the 
the way that that relationship sort of soured, maybe that's a bit too strong, but the fact that they kind of got in, it seemed like, into that relationship with Pujo and realized this might not be exactly where we want the, the direction of our team to go. Can you kind of take us through what some of those comments were and, and the, the various implications of the the mismatch, if you will, between a, a very proudly independent privateer team and a corporate entity like Peugeot? Yeah, it seemed quite interesting because when that announcement was made, it seemed to make some sense because Rebellion had put out some feelers that they wanted to be with a factory. They That was their ultimate goal. And when the split happened, obviously, that was when Rebellion withdrew from motorsports. And so that sort of gave an answer on why they pulled out. But now it sort of comes out that it might not have been that clear of a, a an ex- explanation on the whole reasoning behind this. Um, uh, Kaleem Buhadra, the, the CEO of Rebellion, um, more of the face of the team, you would see. Um, Alex Pesky usually sort of takes a back seat from the from the day-to-day operations of, of Rebellion. But Kaleem um, spoke to our Dan Lloyd about this, and he went out and, and said that, you know, Peugeot was a great manufacturer. They had the budget we had, you know, to, to do this program between the two of them. But ultimately, it didn't go according to Rebellion's ethos of being a privateer team, of being an underdog team, of being a team that you know, can fight against the big guns. And if they were going to become one of the big contenders, it didn't really make much sense. And I found that to be pretty interesting because that was something they were striving to to be for years. And finally, it looked like they were in that position and then it all sort of fizzled out. And I think a lot had also to do with with the evolving regulations with with Hypercar and LMDH. And um, it's pretty clear clear that Peugeot is most likely going to go an LMDH route, I think, especially now, given the economy. Um, That's to say if the program is still continuing. We don't have any doubts that it's not. But given the economic climate, I guess you have to question almost every program at this point. Um, so, yeah, um, you could read the full story on Sports Car 365 for some more insight. But, yeah, I was a bit surprised by his comments as well. Really interesting quotes, a really interesting story. So make sure, if you haven't read it already, that you do so, again, up at sportscar365.com. Uh, we mentioned Lamar briefly, and when we do get to Lamar now in September, and that's going to take use to... Takes some time to get used to saying, but at least for this year, that's the case. Uh, we do have a couple answers to the questions that we've been wondering about consider- concerning the format for the race. We knew there would be uh, a, a no test day. We knew there would be some changes as a result of that. And some more details have come out confirming extended practice sessions and a change for scrutineering as well. Yes, so scrutineering will not be in the city center as it has been for as far as I, as long as I remember it, um, it'll actually be in the at the track like they would do during the test day. Um, no reason given, but I would have to think just from a, a case of you know keeping it as low profile as possible with still questions surrounding public attendance and 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 whatnot. Um, in terms of track action, there will be 12 hours of track time for practice alone in the build-up to the race. I think it's been increased by about three or four hours over what the original schedule was in June. And this is basically just to give drivers and teams more track time because of the um, Lamar test day being canceled. So 
Um, you can check out the full schedule on Sports Car 365. Basically, the majority of the running time will be on Wednesday. Um, also, Thursday will uh, will be include the new Hyper Pole, um, which will be a uh, like a shootout style qualifying with the fastest six cars in qualifying from each class in a 30 minute shootout. That qualifying session runs at 11:15 p.m. on the Wednesday before in I think it's a 45 minute session there to, to figure out who goes into the hyper pole and who qualifies you know regularly so that's going to be interesting to see there's going to be a lot of unique things I think at Lama this year if it happens as scheduled but um, yeah it was good to see the ACO put out the race week schedule and, and it, quite honestly it's not as impacted you know as what it could have been uh, it's not condensed by any reason um teams do arrive you know i think a, they're not going to be spending a whole month there like they used to with the test day but um it's so it's condensed in that form but in terms of actual on-track action and um uh, official festivities and, and preparations it's not as bad as what some maybe had initially thought so um fingers crossed we could have this happen um still no official confirmation i guess this is all provisional like you said ryan so um, let's hope that it all it can it can move forward. I'll okay with echo that. Uh, fingers crossed for sure. One final story to dive into here before we get into a listener question that came in from last week. We've heard a lot about how the various teams are dealing with this long layoff, what that does to them financially, and all their sponsor commitments and things like that. Jake Kilshaw had an interesting story with Gottfried Grasser from Grasser Racing Team about how they are adapting and what they're doing to try and get through this time. And I think they take an interesting approach. We hear a lot about downsizing, but Grasser actually is going the opposite direction. Yeah, as a result of their dual program, both in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship and ADAC GT Masters, um, they're expecting to have clashing events. I I think it's inevitable now. And um, that's going to result in them having two dedicated crews for both of their programs. And initially, they were planning to have the same set of crews fly over back and forth to do both. But um, GT Masters released a a revised schedule last week, um, seven weekends, I think, over the course of an 11 or 12 week period. So that's going to be an extremely busy calendar if it happens as planned right now, um, you add an IMSA to that and it basically makes it impossible to have the same uh, crew and or drivers even compete in both. So um, Gottfried Grasser's um, looking to sort of dedicate certain um, mechanics and crew chiefs and engineers and, and whatnot to each program. And this gives an opportunity for some crew guys um, looking for work or, or have been laid off or furloughed. So um, I guess there are there is some unintended consequences that sort of come out of the, some of a of a big crisis like this, where it could lead to more opportunities for for some some uh, some crew. Always nice to get some positive news in this difficult time, and I think this is one example of an unintended consequence that is is going to be a positive for at least for a few individuals. So great to see the Grasser team doubling down on everything and finding more opportunities for more crew members to to be employed in the sport. So uh, we wish them the best. And and again, hopefully we get back up and running here relatively soon. I got a question from last week's show, John. It comes from Robert C. Robert wants to know, what if IMSA added a prototype race at VIR for the DPI and P2 cars as a separate race on the same weekend? And I actually think that's an interesting point, especially if we get to a position where 
contractually for teams and partners, IMSA needs to put a certain number of races on their calendar, whatever it ends up looking like. This might be a neat way at least to alleviate any shortfalls for the DPI and P2 cars. What say you? Yeah, um, it could be possible or just add them in with the GTs. I, I don't, you know, I know there was initially some questions on if the prototypes would be in a good, safe environment around VIR. I think that was initially one of the talking points, you know, three, four years ago when the schedule was was sort of constructed. I don't know if there's been any talk since then, if there's any concerns. But um, personally, if it was up to me, I think I would just combine them with the GT cars, maybe for the Lime Rock weekend, make it a prototype only. If again, if the prototypes are are deemed safe enough around Lime Rock, um, things you know those that that bull ring is quite a challenge. And I remember the last few years of ALMS mm-hmm. uh, around there were were a bit a bit tricky. Let's just say that. So um, maybe in my mind, make uh, Lime Rock a, a prototype split GT split races, and then VIR maybe combine them. Um, that's just. A suggestion from me i don't know but i'm sure imsa is looking at everything um they've made it pretty clear that um they've taken other things into consideration i know last week we talked about the possibility of indianapolis um it's our understanding that's no longer the case because indycar took over the billing with um sro america there, there's no way to have three different series racing there um three different sanctioning bodies on the same weekend so um imsa definitely has to look at some other options and i think adding prototypes probably to the two GT weekends would make a lot of sense. All right. Uh, We actually did get a question that came in on Twitter. It didn't use the hashtag AskDoublestent, but we got an answer actually from one of the parties that uh, they were asking about. So just to quickly address this, at JJ Racenut sent us in a message saying that a friend noticed that the VIR uh, track had suspended operations until June 10th to comply with Virginia's stay-at-home order and was wondering if that would affect the GT World Challenge America race event. Um, And VIR actually responded on Twitter saying at this point they have no official statement and uh, noticed that noted that any signs that are outside the track um, that's referencing that they are abiding to the current state mandate, but that it is a fluid situation and that that mandate could change. So urges everyone to stay flexible. So anyway, I think we're going to see more calendar changes as this goes along, but uh, great that the VIR folks were able to reach out and provide a little answer to that question that came in on Twitter. Uh, one other thing to touch base on here, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the passing of a motorsports legend, Sterling Moss, over the weekend. And while he's certainly best known for his Formula One exploits, you can make a pretty significant list of what he's done behind the wheel of a sports car as well during the course of his driving career. And our Dan Lloyd did just that, highlighting five of his best sports car drives, including a win at the Mila Milia, very famously, as well as wins at the Nürburgring, among other uh, famous sites. So check that out. Certainly one of the greats. Uh, and our condolences to the family of Sterling Moss, who is definitely a legend in the sport. Uh, That's going to do it for us on the show here this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have any thoughts to spare on uh, suggestions for the show. And we'd also encourage you to leave any questions you may have for us in the comments section or by using the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. That's it for us this week. Talk to you next time with our next edition of DoubleStint.